welcome to this episode of Star Wars Generations Podcast. Today we are continuing our journey through the Star Wars movies as we talk about the second of the prequels, the fifth movie overall, episode two, Attack of the Clones, with myself, Alex Corman, and Aaron McGowan. We're going to continue these movies. The current plan is we're going to do this movie, then we're going to do Return of the uh, Revenge of the Sith, but then we're not going to do the sequels because, as I'm sure a lot of you are expecting, we are going to be doing episode-by-episode coverage of Bad Batch Season 3. And to help get people ready for it, we're also going to be doing a primer episode on the Bad Batch. And if you're a member of the Ethical Panda Podcast Network, you'll also get our special book club. Yeah, book club. Exactly. You'll also get our special book club episode on a particular novel that is we have learned particularly relevant to the plot of Bad Batch Season 3. If you're doing all you can to avoid spoilers, I wish you all the luck in the world, and I won't mention it for you. But I will say... Becoming a member is a great way to get bonus content, to get full bonus episodes, to get ad-free episodes, and just to help support the podcast and make it possible for us to do what we do. Uh, it's only $5 a month, less than whatever is the current uh, fancy coffee pl- drink at the place that you're going to because you're not going to Starbucks because, uh, you know, we're supporting uh, boycotts and all that kind of good things, if you are. If not, fair enough. Uh, but all that aside, the point is $5 a month, $55 a year, you can become a member of this podcast and superhero ethics, bonus content, ad-free content, and you don't have to hear me talking about this all the time. So, all the benefits. But with that, let's get into the Attack of the Clones movie. I want to hear you guys go first, actually. Alex, please. Okay. Um, So, if you all have been following along, um, this was my lowest-ranked Star Wars film when we did our rankings uh, many episodes back. And you know, I, I I'll be honest. Whenever I watch this movie, it, it is it is like a, a roller coaster of emotions because there are some parts I really do enjoy. Like I won't lie to you, anytime you McGregor is on the screen, I'm having a good time. Yeah. You know his stuff on Camino. Um, you know his, his interactions with Dooku. Um, the battle on Geonosis at the um at the end, enjoyable stuff. Now, I am Hayden Christensen apologist. I love that boy with all my heart. Attack of the Clones is not his finest moment. I do – I want to say that I don't think we can only squarely put it on Hayden Christensen. I think that George Lucas deserves a lion's share of the blame here for some of the direction that went on in this film, some of the writing that was just not good. Um, but when he is on screen with Padme, I am ready to fall asleep or I'm just cringing and for so many reasons. Um, so I, I just – it feels like a very disjointed movie – that has some really high highs and some really low lows. And that's that's kind of how I feel about it. I, th- I think that, you know, it, it tried. It, it just didn't always succeed. That's fair. That's yeah, fair. Yeah. I, I, I think the best defense of Hayden Christensen's acting that I can give is that Natalie Portman's performance is also quite bad. And right. we know she is a very, very good actress. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's a lot more about direction and writing. Um, and I, I say that as a former Hayden hater who has become a Matt Latner is my Anakin, but Hayden Christensen is fine. Yeah! You know what? I will I will take that as as, as progress and, and a if win. If you listened to this podcast like two years ago, this is huge growth for this is a big. This is a big change. This is, this is a big change. I remember listening to your episodes and being like, God damn, they really hate Hayden Christensen. Like, holy shit. Now, to be clear, I've never sent him an email. I've never reached out to him. I'm sure... Even when I thought he was a horrible actor, I thought he was a lovely human being who deserved none of the hate he got. But moving along, 
Erin, uh, what, what's your thoughts on this movie? Did you do yours? No. Please go. <laughs> I want to go last. Are you hosting today? Oh. Erin, <laughs> go ahead. Yes. All right, fine, fine, fine. Yes. I will go last. I, I will go next. Thank you. Um, I think... Alex, I'm largely with you are. I think part of why this movie frustrates me so much and why I dislike it so much is that it has the potential to be a phenomenal movie. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some parts of it that, especially when I rewatch it and knowing all the things I know in The Clone Wars, that it sets up brilliantly. Um, Once I know that this was intentional... The amount of hubris that we see from the Jedi in this movie, in everything from like, you know, oh, no, Dooku could never be behind a, uh, an assassination. He's too good for that. He's a, he's a Jedi. To, you know, just letting Palp suggest Kenobi as, as the Guardian to, you know, why Anakin's raging feelings aren't a red flag to everyone who comes in contact with him. Like, it is set up so well. Um Putting aside what happens a few minutes later, Dooku's speech to Kenobi, which is, by the way, 100% true. Kenobi, there's a dark Sith Lord at the heart of the Senate. True. They're, you know, they're corrupting the Senate. True. Like, it's the perfect lie hidden within a truth. And if this had been, like, the amount... The romance was god-awful and cringy and at times, like, really problematic. Um, I liked a lot of Obi-Wan on screen, but so much of the stuff with the Kaminoans makes no sense whatsoever. Um, I want to I want to encourage other people to deposit their money at the Bank of Kaminoa. Because apparently if I just have a robe the same color as someone who, like, deposited there, I can make a withdrawal. Because they have no security systems whatsoever. Um... But like, you know, there was a, so much there's so much of the political stuff that I was frustrated was done so badly in the last one was done really well in this. Until they threw it all out the window. And we've got a really cringy romance. And we've got Jar Jar at the heart of a political conspiracy. And we've got a fight scene that should have been really scary, but kept giving us droid slapstick moments. And then we just have well, you know what? I'm actually gonna do it this way. Aaron? You wanted to go last, so I'm actually just going to ask you a question to start out with. Sure. As the person who has most recently been a teenager, okay. let us say that a 16-year-old teenager came to you wanting romantic advice. And this person said that a boy was interested in them and that the boy had said to them, and I quote, I'm in agony. The closer I get to you, the worse it gets. The thought of being with you, I can't breathe. I'm haunted by the kiss you never should have given me. What advice would you give to that teenager? I'd be like, how do you know this guy, for one? For two, are you sure he's not a musical theater major? Because it really <laughs> feels like it. Like, why is he speaking in Shakespearean? Um, but honestly, like, when I give people advice, I just want to feel out where they're at. So it kind of, I guess, depends on where they were coming from. But I'd be like... I don't know. Be aware, because that's like a lot of conflicting feelings. It's feeling a little pick me. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it, it's to me, it's a little pick me. It's a little um, horribly red flag, manipulative gaslighty. The um, like, you made me feel this way. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. So that we're going to have a lot more to say about that particular scene. But Aaron, uh, what are your overall thoughts on the movie? Okay. Thank you for letting me go last. I wanted to let you all run your mouths. 
Um, Damn. So I'm going to be dead honest with you guys, start to finish. I really liked this movie. Oh, no. I enjoyed this movie so much. Like, I know, I know that's hard for you to hear, but like, I was in it. That's fine. Like, all of that's Geonosius. Great. Oh, that's great. I was excited about the Droid Factory, guys. Yeah, I was. That's I was awesome. having a good time. That's I awesome. I support your take. While I might disagree with it, I support you and I'm happy you have that opinion. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I've been thinking about this moment all day. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy I'm... that our viewers can't see my face, but I do support <laughs> you. I am screen recording, and I will post this. Oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> they can see all of my chins as I am complaining in pain. I'm just, re- <laughs> like, pulling into myself. Every part of my body is contorting inward. We are planning to start streaming this eventually for members. Uh, I plan to thoroughly clean my room before we do, because what's behind me in the camera angle looks real bad. Um, so I really hope Aaron's kidding there. But who knows? <laughs> she wants blackmail material. Um, no, that's great. I, I, I am really looking forward to hearing about it. I do think, um, parents, if you are fans of the show and you want your teenagers to become fans of the show, do not send them to Erin for dating advice because Ah. that is a huge red flag that Hennigan says. Um, I love the look on her face. It's kind of wonderful. Um, We need to all have someone with a finger on the print screen button from now on because Erin's face just there was peace resistance. But all right, (laughs) let's talk about this in a more structured way. What were you feeling as you went into watching this movie? Alex? Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I, 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 I go into this movie and, and, you know, I think that and, and um, I think that my two lovely co-hosts would agree with me that I might watch these movies too much even sometimes. Um, but I've seen this movie a lot, but it's probably the one I've seen the least frequently. Um, just because, like, in my brain, like, you know, it just isn't, it isn't my favorite. But what's interesting, y'all, is when I was a kid, it was one of my favorites. Because as a kid, all the romantic crap went over my head. All I saw was like, all I cared about was, oh my god, you know, this super cool fight with all of the Jedi and all these droids is like so cool for a little for a little kid. And I thought that, and I, and I know Matthew doesn't like this line, but as a kid, I thought the line when Obi Wan said, "You don't want to sell me death sticks." That whole little bit I thought was the funniest thing that's ever been on the screen of a movie in the history of, <laughs> of the world. I thought the chase was, with Zam was uh, Zam Wesso was so fun. Like, like as a kid, I don't know what, but maybe it's just the the visuals of it all and being like little and ignoring a lot of the weird, awful dialogue. It was a fun movie. It was just an enjoyable film. Yeah. So when I go into it, part of me is like trying to recapture it, but it's also kind of hard for me to fully recapture that when those moments of joy are kind of broken up by the the the. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be generous and say the iffy at best dialogue. And to be clear. I laughed as well at the death sick line. It's yeah. not that it, I, I think it is a fine scene in the movie. I think it shows that Obi-Wan is a fundamentally unethical, manipulative bastard. And he shouldn't I have done it. I disagree with that firmly. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, you must also like Professor X then. Because we did a whole episode on how mind controlling people actually, to do good things is not acceptable. I don't like Professor X. But I don't think that Obi-Wan doing that once or twice is a total shot at his character. Pressure X makes his entire living doing that. He did it so casually that I feel like it happens a lot. But um, we'll, we'll talk about it. We're going to get out, <laughs> off this tangent. Um, Aaron, what about you? Yeah, going into it, I'm going to be honest. So PSA, if you guys haven't noticed online, I'm dead. Um, I'm taking some very hard classes right now. I'm working a lot. 
Um, and so I was kind of like, shit, like, I don't have time to watch this movie, but, like, I'll make it work, you know, I'll fit it in. And I was watching it last night when I was doing my homework, and I was, like, actually very interested. Cool. I was like, oh. So, like, going into it, I guess I wasn't expecting that much. And maybe that's why I enjoyed it so much, just, like, thoroughly. Because, like, in my head, I already know everything that's bad. So I can kind of, mm. like, put that aside and try to enjoy it from, like, my childhood point of view again. Like, yeah, I know this, like, dialogue is shitty, but, like, if you put that aside, like, when I was a kid, like, that's how I thought romance would be. You know? Like, oh, my, I am in agony. Like, I can't be with you. We're going to live a lie. It will destroy us. We're about to be destroyed anyways. Like, all this drama. I was like, yes. Um, It's a bit of a hard watch, but I, I did enjoy the film. Yeah. What were you thinking, Matthew, on the way in? First, you've given me a very good question to ask someone on a first date. Did you really like this movie when you were a kid? If so, we've got some problems. Um, I'm going to stop bashing on Aaron liking the romance now. I'm sorry. It's just too easy. Um, um, So I was dreading it. I was really not looking forward to it. And I enjoyed it a lot more than I have other times. I think in part because of exactly what you were saying. Because, like, I wasn't just letting the bad dialogue roll off me. Like, first of all, the first, I think, five or ten minutes are really interesting and are really well done, I think. Uh, it sets up the political drama really well. It fails to answer or even ask one essential question that becomes much worse by the time it's not answered by the end of the movie, which I'll get to in a bit. But, and then when we got to the first line of awful dialogue or the first thing that made no sense, I was like, aha, got one. And I wrote it down <laughs> to take notes. And like... <laughs> So it was kind of like half enjoy watching, half hate watching, which was actually a really enjoyable experience. <laughs> and I, I made a joke earlier that this was the last time I'm going to watch this movie. The thing is, that's not true because I probably go back and watch it every couple of years because I do think that it is a movie that has been made significantly better by The Clone Wars, by every novel that references it. And so every time one of those comes out, I want to go back and watch it again and be like, oh, okay, this scene makes more sense. This scene makes more sense. With, again, like just fast forwarding through the awful romance bits and the bad dialogue. And um, and even here, I I think it's really, really important. And something I try hard to do, and I want Star Wars fans to always call me out, you two included, if I fail in this. I think it's really important to name the difference between what you don't like and what makes something a bad movie. I have feelings on what for kids meant in the 70s and 80s and what it meant in the 90s and 2000s and do feel like it has been dumbed down somewhat. But it's easy for me to say that because I was a kid in the 70s and 80s and then I wasn't in the 90s and 2000s. Yeah. And for me, if there's a scene like the droid scene where I think to me the silliness of C-3PO pulls me out of it, but you two just love it and flat out love it as a scene, then that scene did what it was supposed to do. It wasn't for me. But then I can't say that scene makes it a bad movie because I think it makes it a movie that kids can really enjoy, which is a good thing. Um, I, just maybe I, I, go ahead. Sorry. I, was, I, I just want to say that I won't lie, Matthew, after and for our members who will listen to a little bit afterwards, reading the short story today that we're going to talk about in the member oh, section made wow. me more okay with 3PO and R2-D2 in this movie. <laughs> Oh, I'm interested to see how you put that together. Yeah, I I think I know where you're going with that. I will say that I feel like there were some questions we left unanswered in our coverage of Phantom Menace about Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's respective responsibility. 
uh, for the fall of Anakin, and that story, I think, addressed it really, really yeah, well. I was like, wow, I wish we had actually done this last week. Right? Exactly. Um, but yeah. Sorry, let me interrupt you. So, so, no, no, you're fine. I think, I think that's about all I was going to say. I, like, just I, This is why I want to do this podcast, because I want to hear what are the things you guys like about it and, and be able to see it from different eyes and different perspectives. Yeah. Um, let me, therefore, ask a question that I... I, this is the question that I think the movie never addresses and should have, and I think therefore is a blinding problem with it, but maybe I'm missing something. The Republic has problems. We all know that. There's corruption. It's inefficient. It's unable to get things settled. A number of independent, a number of you know parts of the Republic that have their own governments and the like say, we don't want to be part of the Republic anymore. Why is that a bad thing? Because the Republic has stood for so many thousands of years with no war, but... And? Exactly. There's no... It's not set up in a way that explains that. You're right. Like, it's not right. really answered in this movie other than the idea of, like, keeping one galactical power, which... I mean, here on Earth, we can't do that, and that's just, like, one planet. Like, right. it's not a realistic political system. Yeah. And, like, I think they're clearly using the iconography of our own American Civil War. Like, they call them the separatists. They specifically say the Grand Army of the Republic, which is the exact phrase that was used in the Civil War. There's a lot of these other things. And we know that slavery exists in lots of the Republic, in, uh, in lots of parts of the outer rims of the Republic, and that a lot of the people who are breaking away support. And... Part of me wonders if in the original script it was going to be more about slavery and be a direct analog for our civil war. And I wonder if maybe that got cut out because people were like, yeah, we don't want people in Alabama to like storm the theaters or whatever it's going to be. Oh. Um, you know, I – You know – No insult to people in Alabama. I'm just saying 20 years ago especially like – Yeah, yeah. I see where you're coming it's, it's an interesting question because I honestly – Go back and forth on which side is – I don't know if it's a right side in – you know, if, if you, it's hard to remove them. If you remove Palpatine's plot from it all, mm -hmm. like the Separatists have some very good points that even without Palpatine, corporations and corruption exists in the Senate. You know, there, there is a lot of issues that exist in the Republic and, and you know, you, we see how the Separatist Council functions in an episode of the Clone Wars TV show and – a lot of the separatists genuinely want peace. They don't want war. They don't. They, you know, they they believe in a lot of the ideals that Count Dooku spits out. And honestly, again, putting aside and it's hard to separate them his his Sith Lordness. A lot of the points Dooku makes in his disillusionment with the Council and the Republic are very real and very valid. And you know, I think that um, the only argument that I could possibly think about is the one that, again, if you're relating it back to the American Civil War, is, is that Lincoln kind of made and that, you know, you know, divided this, you know, the Republic is very weak and, or, or the Republic of the U.S. would be very weak and you, you, you would naturally have more fights and, you know, a, like a war would break out and, and that I don't think that either side would accept for a long period of time the existence of the other side, specifically the Republic not accepting the existence of the Separatists. The Separatists just want to be acknowledged as as a equal entity um right. and so i don't know i think that the only argument is that like you know they don't want there to be the potential for war the potential for fighting the potential to have to have 
you know, trade disputes within one galaxy. Um, and there's not really, I mean, we haven't explored at least foreign, I mean, they explored in the books, but like foreign enemies. Um, like, you know, there are foreign enemies that exist outside the galaxy, but they're not really an active threat that would the whole galaxy would need to band together again. So, I don't know. I might even be on the side that the separatists were kind of right, so. Valid. What's your take, Aaron? Sorry, I have that three for a loop there, Aaron. <laughs> I, no, I just <laughs> don't have thoughts. I don't know. That's fair. My mind went blank. That's fair. Are you for the Republic? For the Republic! I mean, I'm for, I'm for <laughs> the Republic. I, I yell that out all the time. Uh, so I'm currently reading The Dark Disciple, um, which I haven't actually gotten to read in the past, and it, it's actually giving me a little more pause on the war in that, like, Dooku makes this really strong point and can use this towards the masses in that the clones are living creatures, living beings that are being sent out to war. The Separatists are sending out droids or volunteer soldiers. The clones don't have the ability to volunteer. And to me, that made me just think about the war differently and maybe think about the whole dynamic of this movie and of just the larger conflict. And I'm like, God, it makes it so much more complex because, like, now, I always, you know, I always, you know, consider the clones as these brave, amazing people, but they are forced into service. And like, I, I've always considered the fact that they are slaves to the Republic, but I never would really consider the fact that on the other side, the droids are not living things and are just being, you know, mass produced. And when they get killed, the separatists aren't losing the same amount of life as the Republic is. And I don't know, it makes it much muddier for me. Yeah. Yeah. It is kind of like, if you think about it and look at it, it's like, the separatists are the little guys, like mm -hmm. in the same way that the rebellion and the resistance were. You know, yeah. they're the ones who don't just have a giant mass of like faceless, nameless troopers. Like whether they were children kidnapped at birth or people literally grown to fight. Like, yeah, the separatists are the ones using humane soldiers, low key. And I feel like by the time of the Clone Wars and by the time of the books that come after, someone in Lucasfilm realized this was a problem. Because the Clone Wars, the show, does a lot more to say that these people are claiming they're leaving because of the corruption, but really the people who are leaving are the corrupt ones who want to leave so they can do more corruption. And, like, the books right. show that even more. But, but yeah, even there again, and I, I don't know if it's that they wrote this without really thinking that they would need to justify it. Or if they actually wanted it to appear unjustified, but then thought that was a little bit too morally gray. Um, because I'll, I'll throw out one even more, because I'm paying attention to this now. Let's say a bunch of you are hanging out, like, you know, in your bunks at a big factory where a lot of stuff's happening. And some strange guy, who's not from your planet, comes in looking sus as hell trying to get into your factory... And so you come out of your bunks and are like, yo, dude, what's going on? And you've got a gun in your hand probably because there's a stranger. And he just starts cutting you down with this laser sword. Like, yep. that's not cool. Um, I, I felt a lot of sympathy. Granted, part of it's because of what I know happens to the Geonosians in later works. But I wound up feeling very sympathetic to the Geonosians. Like, they have the death penalty and the death penalty sucks, even if they're really bad at doing it. But 
Yeah, I was just like, dude, Anakin, like, say hello. Don't be like, oh, you're coming out of your thing to say hello to me and ask me what the fuck I'm doing here. I'm going to cut you all down and just go to war. Yeah. That's not something I thought about because as a kid, my favorite arc of the Clone Wars was the Geonosius brain worms. Mm. Um, in which the mindset is just cut the bugs down. Yeah. Yeah. Like the whole Geonosius or, or Geonosius. Geonosia? Geonosian. Geonosian arc. There we go. Yeah. Is like, they're just so vilified. And like, that's also part of the problem is like, these are the native people of the planet and you're Mm -hmm. invading a facility that belongs to them. So like, yeah, they're going to come at you, but like, you don't know the plot. You just know Obi-Wan is somewhere on this planet being held captive. Right. But it's very Anakin of him. You know, it's like, oh, there's all these people suddenly kill them. The men, the women and the children too. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, well, Anakin did know they were building something. That's true. And yeah. like, I think he, I mean, like, just just a slight defense. I think he knew that there was something really sus. He probably could sense the the bad stuff going on. But I agree in that. Like, I mean, it's. I also think Matthew that Star Wars is nothing if not morally gray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So. And, and I think it is often morally gray intentionally, and sometimes it doesn't quite know what it's doing. It tries to be morally black and white, and it fails. And I just, I think it's what's frustrating this movie is it feels very confused. Because Mm. part, like, you have Dooku as this perfect, like, what do you do? Like, it's, it's it's the, you know, it's the Killmonger Magneto moment of what do you do when the villain has a point, but the villain's willing to do terrible things to defend their point. But then, oh, wait, no, he's not actually... A good guy who's gone wrong, he's actually just Darth Tyrannus. And well, it, it's funny you, if, if I may expand on Dooku for a moment. As a child, Dooku was my least of a favorite, least favorite of the Sith Lords. I was always like Darth Vader's so cool. I thought Darth Maul was menacing. Palpatine was this you know evil puppet master. Um, and Dooku to me, as a kid, just was like here's this old guy who's like super political, and I'm like eh, he's not he's not around that much in the movies. He's kind of boring. And obviously, like, he's been extremely hashed out through shows and mm-hmm. books since then. But now he's one of my favorite because he represents, I think, the, you know, the true disillusionment. Like, his points of disillusionment with the Jedi are so valid. And, like, see, all of his points for leaving the Order initially, I think, are so fair. And, like, I think that even – I mean, yes, he does – he is, can be evil and cool, cold and cruel – but he also just, you know, the way he goes about things is so ingenious. He almost brings like the, the the genius intellect of Palpatine with the with the with the uh, forcefulness of, of of Vader, but also a lack a, a great elegance to him, and just he makes you want to believe him. And you know, I I, I often think about, and, and this is a, a little bit of a, a not on. If if you watch the deleted scenes of this movie. Um, there's a scene in the library when um, Obi-Wan is, you know, searching for Kamino, basically, and Shakasa Nu comes up to him, and he's staring at a bust of Dooku, and in the deleted scene, they discuss, like, the Lost 20, which are, like, 20 Jedi Masters who have left the Order over its history. Thousands of years this thing has existed, only 20 have really left. And they're, they honor them, basically. The Jedi are like, these are people that disagreed with us and choose to, choose to leave, and it just deepens the interest to me around Dooku because, like, he is only one of so few who had the courage and the and the will to to leave this order 
on his own terms. And sure, he made some very bad decisions afterwards when it comes to Palpatine enjoying the dark side. But a lot of what he has to say is really interesting. And I think his character is is amazing. And the last thing I'll say to Matthew's point in the conversation he has with Obi-Wan, everything he says is true. And so are the emotions he expresses. His sorrow for losing Qui-Gon, that pain is real. His <laughs> like, you can see on his face that like leaving the Order wasn't like easy per se for him, but he feels like it was the right choice and he stands by it. And I don't know. It's just, oh, it's, he, he's such an interesting character. Yeah. Yeah. I will say like, Tales of the Jedi truly reworked my mindset on Dooku. Because, like, for me growing up, it was the Clone Wars. Like, I was almost even too young for the prequels. Like, not really, but Revenge of the Sith came out, like, the year after I was born, or the year I was born, I think. So, like, I watched whatever. Alex was giving me a year or two. No, I feel old. I feel old. Okay. Anyways, um, so, like, to me, Dooku is always, like, that annoying piece of shit like he's always on it he's always so haughty and like full of himself and stuff so like i never thought deeper even when i watched this movie again a while ago like just his political machinations it's like that whole speech he had to obi-wan is like yeah that's bullshit but like after tales of the jedi it's like i see what you guys are talking about now it's like no he did hurt a lot from losing qui-gon he meant it when he said like I'm like, it's unfortunate I haven't met you until now or something like that. Or like, I'm pleased to finally meet you. Qui-Gon spoke so highly of you. Yeah. Like he does mean it. And I think to an extent he does mean the part about, oh, this is a mistake. Like in his eyes at the time, in my mind, a lot of different perspectives here, Mm. but his goal is to kill Padme. That is what he has promised. The trade federation is that Padme Amidala will die. Mm-hmm. And here's Obi-Wan, his apprentice's apprentice, and he's like, hey, like, if Qui-Gon saw something as this guy, like, I don't have beef with him, really. Like, I don't have anything against him. Like, but then when Obi-Wan gets kind of, like, aggressive with it and is like, mm. lies, I will never join you, or whatever, like, I think Dooku's kind of like, yep, he's just like the rest, pretty brainwashed, doesn't really want to talk, so, all right. You know, you're making a great point, and... You're helping me made a connection that I never thought about before, which is that to me it feels like when he goes to Sidious and says, like, everything's working according to your plan, Master, I'm like, oh, okay, so, like, all that was a lie he said to Kenobi. But I think you're right. I think he means it. And, like, looking at the whole history of the Sith, of course it makes sense. Dooku's goal isn't to go back to Sidious and say, Master, everything worked out. It's to get Obi-Wan as his apprentice so the two of them can go back and kill Sidious in the exact way that the Sith always want to do. Like, oh, that make okay, that makes it make a lot more sense. And That's I don't know. That's actually really interesting. Do you right? think it's because Dooku was so attached to Obi-Wan because he was attached to Qui-Gon? So, so, and again, here, my favorite book about Dooku is Darth Plagueis, which I know so is not canon anymore. What? Aaron looks so smug right now oh. if we're talking about this, Matthew. Ah. No, she's deservedly so. She made a great point. Uh, and I was probably far too, like, attacking her about teen romance stuff, so I apologize for that. So I'm glad we're making a good point here. Um, but no, because what Darth Plagueis really makes sense is that is that Dooku does see this, and he, like, he, I think the Dooku story is one of the perfect illustrations of the path to the dark side. 
because he is terrified that the Sith are coming back. And he also thinks that the Republic are misusing the Jedi and that the Jedi should be in control and that he thinks that too many Jedi are dying. And in Darth Plagueis, it's very clearly Qui-Gon's death that makes him leave. And he has a conversation with Palpatine where you get the sense he's starting to figure out that Palpatine might be the Sith Lord, but he's starting to be like, you know what? Maybe part of the Jedi failure is that we're not willing to use the dark side. Like, he's not saying, like, the Sith are right, total ambition, screw everybody else. He's saying maybe in order to do what the Jedi are supposed to do, we should use some dark side powers. And by that regard, and granted, I think I'm now way off into headcanon, but maybe this is what Lucas intended, and it was just way too subtle. The story of Duke who never wanted Sidious's plan to work, Duke who wanted to use Sidious, learn as much of the dark side as he could, and then overthrow Sidious so that he could actually just be the most Jedi Jedi that's ever Jedi'd and teach the Jedi they should use the dark side. Because, yeah, I, I think he honestly believes he doesn't want Mace Windu to, to fight. He doesn't want to... He hates that all these Jedi just died in that fight. Um, so, yeah. Matthew, Duke, Dooku does try and take on more apprentices than anyone else. I mean, hell, I mean, he's like, Qui-Gon should join me. Obi-Wan should join me. Um, freaking, you know, he's got... Sifo-Dyas. Uh, Sifo-Dyas. He's got Ventress. He's got um, Savage Press. He's trying to convince, I mean, uh, um, another another individual in, in some books. You know, he, he tries to convince so many people to join him to overthrow Palpatine. Yeah. It's constant. He's trying okay. to find someone new. So it may be because of Clone Wars in the books, but I'm now fully accepting of that headcanon, and that does make this movie a lot better. I'll accept that. That does oh help God. a lot. Yeah. Um, it does, like, if you talk through it and rework it, like, Dooku's story can still be redeemed through this movie. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Or his story in this movie can still be redeemed yeah. through other media. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I can't quite give the movie credit because I wish it had been a little bit more open about that. But, yeah, I think we can we can head Canada in in a way that totally makes sense. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the Anakin of it all. Um, <laughs> oh, the... F- the face Alex is making. Um, that could best be described as the troubled Kermit face. Um, <laughs> I'm just putting these in as little like teasers to get people really excited to watch the stream. Oh, um, Al- Alex, what's your take on Anakin in this movie? Okay, I'm gonna. I'm okay. I have I have two two p- parts to this. Part one is I want to again blame the writing because I do believe, and and this might be a little too on the nose for reality, but. A lot of times it is the troubled, neglected, white male teenagers who turn into the most problematic people in society. And Anakin fit a lot of those bills. And I think that becoming Darth Vader, him being emotionally stunted, really awkward, angry, angsty, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, in this movie, he's supposed to be what nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, it it make like oh, I think that that direction, the direction of the character, and I think what Hayden's portrayal was makes sense to me. And I think that it was done as well as it could have been done, or close to it, with the writing and script provided. I don't care if you have won ten Academy Awards for Best Actor, if someone hands you the line, I hate sand. It's coarse and gets every. You're just not. No, I don't care who it is. Harrison Ford himself could not act that line well. 
Um, and I think that that hindered his performance. And I think that in Revenge of the Sith, it is much more elevated because I think the writing's better. But I think in this movie, we just get a glimpse of of that. Now, just story-wise, Anakin, I think that, um, you know, it's actually, you know, it's actually kind of decent. You know, I think that, like, seeing Anakin struggle with his romantic feelings, um, you know, again, writing was not good on that, but, but the premise of Anakin struggling romantically, seeing why he would give up so much um, for, like, the first person that showed him love and compassion and care – told him it was okay when he did something awful like um you know i'm not saying the Padme was right for doing that at all and there's a lot more going on there under the surface but i think that this movie really does set up and open up anakin's fall even if it wasn't written or executed as well as it could have been i think that the premise really was there and does fairly make sense um and i want to point out one little specific note that I never really picked up until this rewatch. He says the exact same words to Padme, I would do anything you ask, as he says to Palpatine after he takes off Mace Windu's arm. Mm. Palpatine and Padme are with the two people that I think he reaches his most vulnerable, raw state with. Yeah, that's and a great like, point. I would do anything for you. I would do whatever you ask. You have shown me that what I've been craving and needing, that I think Obi-Wan always reserved a certain degree because he didn't want to feed into Anakin's emotions that level. Mm-hmm. Padme did. And we see, you know, we see what, what comes out of it and we see, like, the monster it eventually creates. Yeah. The Anakin of it all. So, the Anakin of the I think room. I'm starting to put together a lot of things in my head as we're talking about this. Because, um... And this is my life, okay? Mm -hmm. This is not anyone else's experience that I'm going to be speaking on here. Um, But from where I am, growing up pretty conservative, you know, like, you can't really express emotions like that, you know? Mm. Like, if you have a crush on someone, you talk about it with your friends, you never tell them. But, like, maybe you, like brush against their arm or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Or, like, it's, like, it's the biggest move ever to, like, like, brush someone's shoulder the way he did Padme's, you know? Like, that's like, oh, my God. Like, we're going to be talking about that for weeks, you know? Like, when they finally, because it's like, ooh. Like, you use all these big, dramatic words to try to talk about how you're feeling because you can't just fuck it out. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just awkward and it's weird and it's hard. And, like, that's almost relatable to me. Like, watching that felt like a lot of my, like, middle school, high school relationships, which is... Mm gross and weird but it's just how it was and maybe that's why it's never been a huge deal to me because it's like yeah like in my eyes that's what young love is Mm. that's how it goes right right guys right nobody agrees but um no no i very much agree and that's part of why i think i'm so horrified by it but that's you know yeah no that's what i'm saying is like it's one of those things where you trauma dump and you're like that's relatable right and everyone's like no and i'm like oh well Sorry that I thought Anakin and Padme was, like, normal. Because it, looking back, is not. No. It's weird. It's kind of creepy. Like, the whole her being so much older than him, or at least portrayed so much older in the first movie, and then suddenly we're supposed to just, like, believe that they're on the same level of maturity, like, just doesn't line up. And, like, he is so obviously stunted. Like, 
he throws temper tantrums all the time and she just mm-hmm. kind of like nods along with it. She's not yeah. like, you're acting like a baby. Right. Like, I mean, like a temper tantrum after your mom dies, that's pretty valid. A temper tantrum, I'm that temper tantrum, I'm talking about when he throws something across the basement in Lars's house. Right. I'm not talking about when he killed a bunch of people. Okay. So mass murder in response to a, in response to a traumatic event, but still, mass murder is a red flag when it comes to dating. Correct. Okay. I would say okay. so. <laughs> well, so I feel like the two of you really summed up why I wrestle with this so much because to me, like I I think we're all in agreement. It sounds like then that at least like the, his behavior is incredibly like I don't. It's funny on a different podcast I said recently that I do think that one thing that we don't talk about enough and this is not a defense uh, and I say this as a person who used to gaslight a lot especially in romance and again I relate to in awful ways because I was that person uh, as yeah. a teenager and probably wait too long into a young adult um, and I think a lot of times the first person to gaslight or gaslights is themselves not a justification in any way shape or form but an explanation but it helps to understand it better it helps to stop it um, and so to me, when he says that this whole line of, I am in pain that you won't kiss me and you won't love me. And so you should feel responsible for my pain. Um, you know, partic- and particularly when he frames it as, you know, she says she doesn't want to kiss him. He, he initiates the kiss. She kisses back. And then he later frames it as, I'm haunted by the kiss you never should have given me. Like, that's straight up victim blaming and gaslighting in the worst way. Mm-hmm. And what I wrestle with is I don't know if Lucas knew that when he wrote those words. Because I feel like either we're supposed to think it's very romantic and thus we can understand why Padme falls for him. Or, and this is kind of Alex what you were saying, we're supposed to look at it and think this is a sign of him being basically an, an incel um, you know, at that point in time, which again, maybe like I'm being too harsh on him because a lot of teenage boys are like that. And I think I was too, but I really, well, I did not kill anybody when my mother died. That's certainly. what I was, that's what I'm Um, about. you know, my, um, uh, you know. I didn't commit murder when my dad died. Like I was seven, I was younger than Anakin was. You, you know, know, there we go. There we go. <laughs> but, um, um, uh, uh, look, here we are just trauma dumping. Like, you know what? Our parents died. Right. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. The point being. I just I, I don't know because I, I do feel like as you were just saying, if we are supposed to read this as this is a sign of a boy who has had to repress his emotions all of his life and has no idea how to express them, as a boy who finally feels like he can be vulnerable with someone and admit the pain he's feeling because no one's ever like, you know, he's never really thought about someone else's feelings in this regard because everyone around him has always told him they don't have feelings. Um, yeah. So... Maybe we're supposed to see this as this is a sign of how he falls and how screwed up he is. But then, five years you're older than him, has been a queen, has been a senator. How in the world does Padme fall for it? Especially, especially when, as the internet has put it so well, Daddy Juan Kenobi is right there. <laughs> um, I have a thought on this. Go for it. And I just thought of it now. I don't know how valid it really feels. But when you consider the way we saw, you know, um, okay, so the only glimpse that we have into, like, what a royal upbringing kind of looks like is the small glimpse we got in Princess Leia as a kid in the Obi-Wan show. If it was remotely similar, Padme's life was very restricted as a child. She grew up 
was a freaking queen at what, what, how old she, how old was she in that movie? Like 15? Um, no, it's 10 years later and he, he's 19. No, no, so no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. In Phantom Menace, how old is she? Is, a, is she a queen oh, at 15? She's 14. 14. Thank you. Um, and just, I think that she has lived her life very sheltered. She talks about her first kiss was at this retreat for future senators, basically. Like, yeah, it's, it's possible that, you know, you know, when you live a sheltered life, you know, you get you, you finally get to experience your first like, you know, you're going out on, you know, with this with this guy who's like, you know, mysterious and, and, and unique and, and powerful. And it's possible that Padme just fell for this because of the way she was brought up and the fact that she was sheltered from so much of the world that she was like, didn't even consider for a moment that a Jedi who were revered and trained to be the, the best of us could possibly be in the wrong, could possibly be that far gone, especially one that was trained by Obi-Wan Kenobi and was like, you know, so highly regarded by the council. And um, it's possible that she fell for him because of a combination of the reputation the Jedi held, the the inherent trust that the people had in them, that Mm -hmm. she would probably instilled with her, instilled in her since birth. And the fact that she was so closed off and sheltered that you know, I was sheltered as a kid to a certain degree as well, and um, my first girlfriend was very problematic. Oh. And I think that, like, you know, and I know we're not we're not victim blaming Padme at all, but I think it's 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 easy to be like, how could she have fallen for this guy? But I think it's more like Anakin's manipulation, her upbringing in a closed environment, and the inherent trust that you're supposed to have in a Jedi. Um, it's like if superheroes existed. I mean, I, I know Matthew. You probably discussed the boys at some point with people, but like, it's like you have an inherent trust in superheroes because they're like these supposedly infallible beings. And so Padme is probably like, oh, he messed up once or twice, but Anakin's really good. Like he really is good inside, and mm-hmm. she constantly makes excuses for him throughout the relationship. I think, and I don't know. That's yeah, my maybe... best rationale. I'll just say, if you want more. I have done quite a lot of episodes on The Boys, episode-by-episode <laughs> episode coverage. Go to Superhero Ethics, and you'll find it my other podcast. It's a great Sorry. show, too. Aaron, you were going to say? I was going to say, maybe to an extent, it's like, yeah, the Jedi are these perfect, infallible things. The idea of somebody willing to break that oath mm-hmm. for her, Ooh. like, means so much. Like, just the idea of it, regardless of the person. Like... I mean, Maybe we, it gets to her head a little bit, or it's just like, wow, this is so serious for him. I've been in the place before where someone tells you they like you, someone tells you they love you, and you're like, well, I guess I love them. Yeah, that's fair. That, and I think that's very fair. I think also when I remember that I think we all agree that if the most romantic line in Star Wars is, I love you, I know, the second most romantic line is, I would have given up the Jedi Order for you, Satine. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. and... That and and also I think there's another rule that I have I have long stated in terms of giving people advice and these sort of things that I think there are three conditions under which a person saying I love you does not count. If they have just had if you've just given them amazing food, if you've just given them amazing sex, or if they're about to die. Under any of those three conditions, it does and she's about to have and and yeah, maybe so she's been thinking like maybe I love him, but maybe he's a mass murderer, and maybe I love him, but maybe he's gaslighting me, but we're about to die. I don't want to, like, sure, you know? And maybe, like, this is giving way too much credit, but maybe the guy who was supposed to fight to the death to protect me will fight to the death to protect me a little better if he thinks I'm in love. I mean, I don't think that's true, but, like... Right, right. 
And, and the last little bit I, I, I would say on this is I think that it's also possible that the, the, the concept, and I think that the concept of a forbidden love, like it's taboo. There have been love stories throughout history where like the entire basis of the attraction between two people is the fact that it's not supposed to be that be there. That's fair. It's not supposed to happen. And I think that like the fact that Anakin knows he's not supposed to be dating anyone or having this kind of attraction and Padme knows the same the other way. I think that that, whether messed up or not, does lead to a certain like, you know, sexual tension that builds up. It's like, oh, the forbidden fruit that we're going to keep, keep tasting. <laughs> we keep pushing our limits. I'll admit that I don't know if I have a good opinion on this because I, I am bisexual. I'm queer. I've openly talked about that a lot. And I, but a lot for a lot of the time in my college years and afterwards, I was kind of going in and out of the closet, and I was pretty deep in the closet, not convinced myself I was straight again by the time I saw this movie. So maybe I'm not the right one to judge. I think Hayden Christensen is an incredibly attractive man. I think Anakin Skywalker in the third movie is an incredibly attractive man. I think in this, he looks like he hangs out at a gas station all the time and listens to Kid Rock because of his rat tail that I know is supposed to be a Padawan braid. I thought he looked. Does he look really handsome in this movie? It for me, it's the um, Padawan braid and the tiny ponytail combination that like puts it over the edge. I mean, so into the uh, edge of yes, he's hot in this, or he's just ridiculous. No, it's like he would have been so hot if you didn't do those things. Okay, so we can't even like, say he that Padme's goddess tan in this movie. Like his skin looks delicious. And mm-hmm. The least weird way possible like i want to lick it i don't know but other than that it's star wars bad. after dark everyone that's legit that's legit. um i mean as a as a straight man i think anakin is objectively very hot in revenge of the sith and in real life and i do not feel that way about him in attack of the clones i think that like if you took away him speaking <laughs> And you just looked at him, and there was, and you took away the braid and the ponytail, and he gave him a little better haircut. Sure, he could be attractive in this movie too, but the general vibe that was that was crafted around him was not one that was meant to say, "Look at this sexy man." I I will also admit my bias in that, at the time that I was entering the dating world, and still in the, uh, at the time that I was entering the dating world, and still in my early years in the dating world, and then when this movie came out, which is around that same time, um. The attraction to the Golden Retriever Boy or the, like, big, cuddly bear dad bod wasn't really a thing. Emo, like, we didn't even call it emo yet. It was just goth. Um, But, like, broody boys was the thing. And I couldn't brood. Every time I tried to brood, I would giggle too much. So, like, there's a part of me that just naturally wants to be like, no, don't be attracted to broody, moody, McMoody pants. Be attracted to the class clown. That's what you really want. Um, so am I unbiased there? So like hearing this, I, but it also, Matthew, it has been, I will, I actually have a great conversation with, with another friend that I think that TV in general push has pushed that broody dark both ways. And any, any attraction, whoever you're attracted to, I mean, you think of the hex girls, all the goth, like femme characters put out there as we were children, like they push the brooding man, woman, any gender in between, like. That is just what, the, for whatever reason, Disney, Cartoon Network, Nickelodeon, Disney, whatever, they wanted kids to grow up being attracted to the dark, brooding character, and I think they have succeeded. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, it's still a thing then. But at least now the golden retriever holds like equal space with the. No, uh, yes. for sure. It's talked about and appreciated. No, yeah, absolutely. It was not back then. It absolutely was yeah. not. Um, um, all right. So, do we want to talk about stuff other than the romance? I, yeah, I, I do. Well, I, <laughs> oh yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm I don't actually. Thank you for asking. No, no, me. I I do because I. Well, actually, no. I want to talk about what I think is Anakin's best moment. And it does touch on the romance because I think it has to be the moment where the romance ends if, you ha- if you're going to hold any respect for Padme. Which is, in terms, like, if you ask me what is the single moment from the prequels that best illustrates Anakin's fall to the dark side, it's his reaction to losing his mother. Because, you know, in terms of the people who you can justifiably kill, the people who kill the person you love most in the world is going to be pretty high up on that list. I still think it's not justifiable, especially when he kills all the people. But to me, that's an example of how you can have a justifiable feeling of rage and the power of the Force, and it gets away from you. Um, I just hate that Padme is like, oh, you poor, poor baby. Um, what, what's your take on that scene? Both in terms of it like showing his path to the dark side and in terms of the romance of it. I mean, in terms of path to the dark side, like, it just makes sense. Like, he's been having nightmares about his my, his mom. And um, something about me, if you don't know, I've got nightmares. Like, nightmares. To the point where it's like, I will tell my mom and she will start crying with how disturbing mm-hmm. they are. Like, the things that come up in my head. And, like, I really relate to the full torture. Like, no, I'm not sleeping well. I can't stop like thinking about this it's really weighing on me and like the idea of something in my nightmares coming true i would snap i would lose it i would but like i would hope nobody who cares about me in my life would be like yeah i understand that like your mom died because like chobani had like rat poop in their yogurt or something like that's fine that you went and killed all the execs at chobani like what like, I don't know. Okay. I'm not defending what Anakin did by any means. Oh, boy. Ju- just, just to play devil's advocate for a minute. For a minute. I asked both of you this question. Who, just think about the person, doesn't matter who it is in your life, who you love the most. Whether it's a parent, a partner, a friend, doesn't matter. Just picture that person. Now, I want you to think if you were taken away from them, one day, no warning, just taken away from them. And weren't allowed to visit them, weren't allowed to see them. You knew they were alive, but not in a good situation. They were being kept in slavery somewhere. So now you know your friend, your loved one is enslaved somewhere. Finally, you have a chance to go help them. To find that they were killed by a, as far as Anakin knows at this point, you know, a gang. We don't know, that. I don't think he's aware of the depth of the Tuscans. Do you think you would snap? Yes. And, therefore, I think that if someone said to me, you have the potential to have godlike powers over life and death and to be one of the best fighters in the world, we are going to give you those powers. By the way, do you have any emotional situation in your life that has the potential to cause you to snap? I would hope to God those people would say, oh, you do? 
cool. We're not giving you those powers. We're actually going to do everything we can to or to help you get past the ability to that you wouldn't snap before we put a lightsaber anywhere close to your hands. Which, to be fair, the Jedi initially did say, we're not going to train you because of that exact reason. Yep. We yep. sense that fear in you. Now, they cave too easily, I think. Because of Qui-Gon's death, again, everything goes back to Qui-Gon's death. They cave too easily, I think, because they're like, Obi-Wan is going to do this anyway. Like, I think that, like, I think that, like, if they had stuck to their guns in this respect, that he wouldn't have, you know, they wouldn't have trained him. Because they did sense that. And I think that I am not condoning violence in any way or murder in any way. But I think that if the person I love the most in all of exactly the situation that Anakin went through, I don't I don't know what I would do. I don't know if I would go into a fit of rage and blind anger and, and kill gang members that I saw as being evil and violent and, you know, mm-hmm. the ones who took everything from me. And then Anakin, it's not just his anger against them. It's his anger against the council, against Obi-Wan, against everyone channeling it out in this moment. And there's a part from a Star Wars book where, where, where a- another... You know, a Jedi goes through something similar, basically, and it and it brings more meaning to the scene for me because of the fact that, you know you, you can see how if you just taste the dark side, just dip your toe into that into that anger, into that pain, and you couple it with that just unlimited sorry for the pun unlimited power, um, <laughs> it, it becomes so dangerous. It becomes like this, like you know. It's, you know, because the thing is, like, if this happened to me, a mere mortal, you know, I would try. I might try and hurt someone, even try and kill someone, but I would. I don't have the the powers of a god to just yeah. tear down an entire gang like this. I mean, Anakin knows that he's untouchable and that he can do what he wants. Um, and I think that, like, that. I don't know that it, 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 sorry, sorry, my watch is so to me. Um, and I think that 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 just makes it like it makes it darker but it also makes me understand it more of like once you lose a little bit of control you're just gone i mean anakin just lost himself in that moment and um and i and i i think that's something that isn't talked about very often because lucas did nothing to tell us that this is who that was you actually hear qui-gon's voice for a moment reaching out from the force in the scene and he says anakin anakin no like trying to tell him to stop trying to reel him back in and anakin is just so blinded by rage he doesn't he doesn't even hear his former master that he clearly misses trying yeah. to stop him. And I like, I, I 100% agree with you. I don't, I cannot justify Anakin's actions, Correct. but I can understand them. And I think that scene is, and I, I think this movie overall is the answer to the question I had from the original movies that Phantom Menace doesn't really give us of why is it that Obi-Wan feels like he failed? Mm. Because in this movie, Anakin told Obi-Wan, that he still has all these feelings for Padme. Mm-hmm. Obi-Wan should have never, ever, ever left these two alone. He should have done so much more to help Anakin overcome, get past these feelings and get and and come to some sense of emotional closure with his mother, or maybe even, here's a crazy idea, gone off and rescued his mother. Um, but either way, this is gonna be a weird connection, but I promise it, it, it makes sense, I hope at least. Both of my parents are lawyers, and so we often watched a lot of, like, law shows growing up, like Law and & Order or, you know, L.A. Law and stuff like that. And I remember early on, I was pretty young, probably like, like seven or eight, 
asking my parents, like, why is the court, you know, like, Joe Smith got murdered, so why is the case officially called the people of the state of California against, you know, Bob Jones? Uh, I meant that as a, a generic name, not an actual yeah. name, but yeah, you know what I mean? Instead of, like, you know, the, the, the family against him. And what they said to me was, like, yeah, we all want revenge, but that's a terrible way to run a society. And the idea is that the 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 city, the state, the gov- the people as a whole are hurt and are made less whole by the by a crime against one of our members, but we're but the state isn't personally angry. And that you personal anger should not be the basis of a system of justice. Um, which is also why I think the death penalty is just fundamentally always wrong. But I've always held to that idea, and I think this is a great reason for it. Like, you cannot... What happens to Shmi Skywalker is is a horrific crime and should be dealt with, but it cannot be dealt with by the person who is personally invested in it, and the person who's personally invested with it should have never been in a situation where they have the power to do that. And, like... I, I wish that more had been said about it, but I do think some of the books later, even the story we're going to talk about in a few moments, uh, definitely gets more into it. Um, but yeah, to me, that's all. I believe it from Ant. That's probably one of the most believable moments, even if I do still think Hayden's acting in the, is yeah, kind of wooden, but again, bad direction. But to me, it more than anything is that moment combined with the many signs Anakin gives Kenobi that he's not doing okay. It, it, it really shows Ken- Kenobi's failure. Um, one more very quick point on this. I'm just curious if anyone ever talks about did Shmi or Owen or any of the people actually do something wrong to the Tuscans, maybe? The Tuscans aren't vindictive by nature. I feel like they only interfere when people are interfering with them. So I'm just curious if something else went down that was never discussed. I mean, it's very possible. I think it's also just the whole idea of we heard it in one of the stories we read on our members section but mm-hmm. how the tuscans are like this is our land the sand is something we know and understand in a way you outsiders could never and it's a fundamental insult to try to yeah. farm moisture from this place that is made to be the opposite fair point i think that's very true i think it's also one of these things where something hasn't aged well in that today i think a lot of us have a real understanding of you know the evils and awfulness of colonialism and that you know like but I grew up hearing stories about, you know, the using not the word Native American, but, you know, the the savage red man. I, I don't even want to say that. Online. You know, the, the savage, you know, whatever, you know, uh, uh, descriptive uh, pejorative word you want to use for Native Americans and how they would murder settlers and how they would do all these terrible things. And I think that 20 years ago when this movie was made – that attitude was still much more prevalent. We were starting to have a better understanding. Things were starting to change. I remember my high school a few years before this, like, had been starting to talk about maybe we shouldn't celebrate Christopher Columbus. But in most of the world, most of the country, most of the co- this country specifically, that wasn't a conversation being had. And so I think later books have given some of those explanations in important ways. Um, but I think at the time this was made... I don't. I think they were just like, oh, the Tuscans are basically the American natives. We can tell a story where they're being brutal and terrible to the white woman because that's what they do, you know. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's just set up as a plot point without thought of the Tuscans as a people. Yeah, but right, it's I like, agree. well, these are the people we've seen, you know, shooting at pod racers. These are the people that you know, yeah. kidnapped like Luke or whatever, or knocked out Luke. You know, yeah. <clears throat> I think it's just a plot device. It's fair. And, 
And Anakin certainly feels that way. And again, mm-hmm. a person who grew up on a colonialist planet, maybe I can understand it, but what he says is, they're like animals, and I slaughtered them like animals. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. to me, is the moment when Padme should run like hell, but putting that yeah. aside. Uh, let's move on, as you requested, um, from the romance. Uh, uh, I mean, we should. We spent way too much time on it. There's already a long episode. <laughs> Why is Kaminoan security so... <laughs> incredibly bad and why did master Sifo-Dyas or Tyrannus when talking to you know um, uh, Django never say that oh by the way if some other Jedi happens to turn up here don't tell them everything because they don't know about this or why didn't well, they at least because again if I walk into a bank and I start talking the plan was to be discovered Okay, like the that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> okay, I, no, I, you're right. You're right. Okay. I, I, I think I think that the entire purpose not not to not to shoot not to shoot you down in any way, Matt, but I do think the purpose was that like we delete it from the archives so they don't they don't find it for a while. But when the time is right, we want the Jedi to serendipitously find this so they trust using the army. The Kaminoans tell them seemingly everything, but they withhold this one one crucial piece of information. But they only can discuss with Dooku, Tyrannus, Typhodius, slash, slash, slash. Um, and that is what makes the Jedi trust the army too en- enough to use it. And also, like, the, they, they are genuinely surprised. And Dooku can say, like, oh, look at this army that just appeared. The Jedi have been planning to fight for so long. But, like, it, I think that that was all part of it. And, and the Kaminoans were just... Like, whatever. I'm so mad that you guys are taking away all the reasons I don't like this movie. Um, (laughs) Because you're totally right. I just remembered that wrong. Uh, We headcanon a lot of the... A lot of the other stuff, I think we're headcanoning pretty hard. But no, they're... Everything that the Cameron Owens do makes total sense. Never mind. Yeah. Um, While we're on Camino, though, let's talk about Django. Like, underrated king. Yes. In my opinion. I'm obsessed with Django Fett. I feel like he was not given the respect on his name he deserves. Um, just having his head snapped off, really sad, really mm-hmm. rough for Boba, totally understand his arc later in the Clone Wars oh, when he goes bad shit. Like, one of the best villain origin stories told in 10 seconds that I've ever seen. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, and, and it's such a minimized story in the movie, but it's something that having loved the uh, Republic Commando books so much, and it's something we've talked about in our members um, section, but they talk a lot about Django and Boba, but mm-hmm. mostly Django. And, like, mm-hmm. this idea of, like, he just wanted a son. Yeah. He's a bounty hunter trying to get a quick buck. And all he asks, like, yeah, he wants money. He could have, like, kept going off on all these outrageous requests. You know, it's like the Jedi are hiring him. Like, well, through whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he could have asked for anything, and all he wanted was a son. He's like, yeah, give, give me my bag. I'll stay here on this planet as you request. And I just want a kid. Yeah. Like, I don't believe Django really... I don't believe in any way that Django Fett is a bad person. And he was also, I, mean, I mean, as much as you can say that about a bounty hunter, I suppose. I, I mean, Django was a... I, I, I consider him to be one of the uh, pioneers of Death Watch to a degree. In mm-hmm. that, like, mm-hmm. he was and confirmed in the Boba Fett, Book of Boba Fett show, his chain code is in the arm. Like, he is a Mandalorian who was a, a warrior and I believe became disillusioned with the way that Duchess Satine and the way that the, the plant was being run. 
So he went out into the galaxy, tried to make his own way. And you're right. He wanted he not only, I think he not only did he wanted a son, but he wanted a Mandalorian, purebred Mandalorian son, and didn't think he could get that. I guess from where he was. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I think Django's cool, and Django Fett um, and Slave One, and that gave us the greatest one of the greatest noises in Star Wars. Oh, the, the seismic uh, charges are the seismic badass. charges. The <laughs> boom, but that that sound you can hear that sound with no mm. other context, and I'm just. I'm seven years old again watching the movie on my couch. Yeah. Like, it's just instant. I, have you guys had a chance to see this movie in a big theater? No. I have you, once. Every now and then they bring it back. You absolutely have to. Because yeah. sitting – I was pretty bored by the time we got to that, sitting in the theater. And then that <laughs> moment happened, and I, I literally felt pressed back into my chair. Uh, and, like, I talked about that happening when I watched Return of the Jedi when I was six. I was 23 when this happened. And still, it was, like, it, like I've been to see, like, huge rock concerts, you know? Um, and it felt like that. Like, it was just such a piece of resistance movie uh, move. And, and yeah, and I, like, I made a joke about Boba Fett's origin story being 10 seconds long. But actually, like, look at this little kid, like, chuckling and laughing as they're blowing up some other guy. Like... It's present- He's a little psycho on it. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, oh. Get him, Dad, get him. Like, there's a part of me that's supposed to be like, ha-ha, look, this is how he becomes Django Fett, how he becomes Boba Fett. There's a part of me that's like, I've read about child soldiers in our own world and what happens. Like, this is a kid with severe trauma issues. And, of course, he goes out to who he is. And it does not help that, like... Granted, Padme's never near him, but yet again, another character who looks a hell of a lot better than Anakin does in this movie. Tamora Morrison is still today, and was especially then, very nice to look at. Um, and he, like, the way he does that little spin with the gun, like, oh, piece de resistance. Yeah, it's... And, and, and I, my, my take is Mace Windu didn't have to kill him, and that was very not Jedi of him, and very hypocritical of him. Yeah. Um, to, he, he had broken, he had, he had fully gotten rid of the jetpack. Yep. He had cut off Fett's arm. Stop there. He can't do anything else. I understand you're in the middle of a battlefield and you can't wait really to take him into custody. I mean, clearly you may not have watched this far again because he's actively shooting at Mace. Yes, but he, but it, in one move, he cuts off his arm and then Mace spins around dramatically to cut off oh, his Oh, what you were saying. Yes, you were saying. So like... Cut off the arm, yes. Great, disarm him. But then why do you got to follow through with the decapitation? I mean, and you see the head shoot out of the mask? God damn, man. Yeah. It's like, I think it's the type of thing that can be explained as like a rush in battle, you know? But mm-hmm. it is, it's not Jedi-like. You know, this entire scene of a battle mm. is not what the Jedi were made for. Why do you think so many Jedi are getting mowed down by fucking droids? Yeah. Like. They weren't prepared for this. Yeah. Like, they fight each other with other lightsabers. That's how they spar. Like, they are not. And that's the whole thing. It's like, yeah. they are not warriors. They are not meant for this. They don't have the critical thinking skills in the heat of battle to say, I don't have to kill this guy right now. Like, yeah. I totally have him beat. Yeah. It's just like, let's go. And I'll say, like, people are shooting at me. I'm going to kill. Rise of the Red Blade does such, the book does such a phenomenal job of showing just how traumatic it was for the Jedi because they were so not used to this and seeing like more Jedi die like in combat than had ever happened in like, you know, thousands of years, you know, on one day and the whole warfare of it being just so not what they were used to. 
Um, yeah, no, I buy all that. And so here's maybe one more part where I, I first had been like, Django's not very good at his job, but maybe here this was the intent. Did Tyrannus tell Django to make sure Padme is killed? Or did he tell him, make sure that the Jedi have to protect Padme? Because if you are told that you absolutely have to kill someone, hiring someone, who is then going to use a droid... No, 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 hold that, on, hold that, on. That hold is on. then or is then going to use a robot of some kind that is then going to release poisonous caterpillars. It is it is a Matthew, I I, I need to lay this out. It, I have this written down. It is a one, two, three, four, five, six stage operation. Palpatine approves everything. It is Palpatine to Dooku to Django to Zam to a droid to two freaking little worms. Like I, there is Absolutely no need for that. So was it always the plan not to kill Pat? Like that they never intended to actually kill Padme. The plan is to put Padme in danger so that um, Anakin will have to get involved and you can put Anakin and Padme together. I think that it didn't matter if she lived or died because Palpatine knew eventually she she could be killed and dealt with. Mm -hmm. I think that they did genuinely try... And it used to be – it used to piss off Dooku. I think he couldn't succeed in that. But I think that if, if Padme had gotten killed in that arena, it would have it would have just sent Anakin over the deep end maybe even earlier. Like I think that like for Palpatine, right. the timing worked out. But I think that losing people that was close to him was always part of the plan. So it was just kind of whatever she – we can get her dead. Mm-hmm. Great. And I, and to be fair, she pissed off Palpatine maybe even more. She thwarted him so many times. I'm sure Palpatine wanted her dead really right. badly. So, I don't know. I think that it was int- – I think there was an intent to actually kill her. Um, I, it's just I not just, the best plan. It's a stupid, well, stupid plan. So, here's the thing is like, you defend yes, this the plan? intent – no, I don't okay. think I'm going to defend the plan. It's a dumb plan. Um, but, like, if the plan is that the Jedi need to find Kamino, well, then they need something to lead them to Kamino. What do they need? The bounty hunter's, like, assassin dart. Mm-hmm. How does that happen? It only happens if Zam dies. Zam was never meant to live, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, totally agree. Because if the caterpillars succeed, yeah. there's nothing leading to Zango. There's... Zango. Django. Django. Yeah. There's nothing leading to Camino. Like, then all of it is for naught other than congrats. Now Newt Gunray is happy. You know, like, yeah. I kind of feel like it's a plot device that, you know, the puppet master is using. Like, here, the yeah. Trade Federation, these big, powerful people I want on my side, they want this senator dead. I need to get the Jedi to find this place. How am I going to do that? I'm going to find the right bounty hunter. I'm going to have him find another bounty hunter. Like, it's all convoluted, but to me, it makes sense. Do you think yeah. do you think that Palpatine intended and ordered, or Dooku ordered Jango to use a Kaminoan dart specifically to lead them back? That would be next level. I mean, like, why else would you be using Kamino and Dart, I guess? But, like... Yeah, I mean, it makes no sense that... Yeah, I, I think that's a given, because I think there's no other reason why Django would use that. Like, he's yeah. got... He doesn't need... A Mandalorian does not need to get weapons from the, the cloning people. 
Well, I mean, he has been living there. It looks like so. Maybe he just lived there long enough, or they just he was yeah. using. It could go technology. either way. I feel like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, and I will say one other thing, which is that the movie does, like, and this kind of goes to our earlier discussions. The movie does make clear that Dooku has no idea that Anakin is part of Sidious's plans. Right. Right. Um. So in that regard, the idea that um Django may think this plan is going to work, Dooku may think this plan is going to work. But Sidious is well, and, and but Sidious wins either way because Sidious probably thinks no matter what, Anakin's going to survive because I think Anakin is you know the bestest, bestest, bestest that's ever been a bestest, and so he knows that if Padme lives, we put them together and that causes problems. If Padme dies, then I've now killed both of the people who Anakin has strong attachment to, and he's going to come right to me. Right. Okay, so, well, I have a question here. Do you guys think Palpatine? in this moment, knows what Padme means to Anakin? Like, does he actually? Because, like... If I I think by the time they end up in the Genosian ring, all of the romance has happened in a space where they've been removed from everyone else. I do because it is Palpatine's idea... He's just like, hmm, True. what if it's Obi-Wan Kenobi? Like, and he doesn't say Anakin, but he says Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. And granted, like, I, I agree with you. I don't think the book's doing – I don't think this does enough to show that. And a lot of it comes from the extent – the Legends canon where it really lets clear that Anakin has been meeting with Palpatine this whole time and that Palpatine can sense things in Anakin that Anakin – that no one else can. Um, I, I agree with that. I think that, like, the meetings have been happening. Anakin's been expressing those emotions to Palpatine. I think Palpatine did this all on purpose. Um, well, or, yeah. I mean, Palpatine also knows people. Really. I I think one of the things that this movie really brings out, well, God, you guys are making me like a lot of parts of this movie. And I, and I do. I always said I think this movie moves the plot along in very good ways. I, I think it's a very good story told by a very bad storyteller. Um, mm-hmm. But the story elements it adds are fundamental to the story. And I think part of what it sets up is that the Jedi, because all of the Jedi cut themselves off from their mo- most of their emotions, they don't understand emotion. And so it may be that none of them understand how much when Anakin's taken away from his mother, here's another woman who is older than him. Um, he's going to imprint on her like a baby duck. And I really like the idea that Obi-Wan doesn't really realize that and Yoda doesn't realize that, but Palpatine does. So it may be that Palpatine doesn't know that Anakin feels this way, but he thinks it's very likely that he does. And especially if he brings uh, her back into his life. Like, I I don't like the idea of Palpatine who literally made every single thing happen because then I think there's no agency. I'm more like the idea that, again, some of the Legends book set up of he knows people enough that he knows if I put these people in this situation, something will probably happen that will be good and, you know... And, like, because, again, Darth, Pl- Darth Plagueis sets up, he never wa- he wanted the Trade Federation to take over Naboo, but he set it up in a way where, like, oh, they didn't? Okay, I can still make this work. Mm-hmm. All right, well, there's more to talk about, and I want to uh, keep going with some stuff, but, Alex, I know you need to go soon, so why don't we just give a couple of your last quick hits? I really only have two things on my list, and one is that this movie truly gave birth to the meme, the memes, and the, the meme memes. culture of the prequels. This movie is where it took off. I mean, the amount of times that I quote to my friends playing video games, you went the comp- uh, he went completely the other way. Or, you know, um, 
or like if you know you know I'll be playing um let's say I'll be playing a you know a game of of uh, Call of Duty with some friends and and my friend will be like all right let's go in together and I'm like no I'm going in now and I'll just run in by myself <laughs> ju- just for the bit Take sometimes because of just some of the memes were created from this from this movie um and I think the really big positive is this movie did. I think that meme culture existing and being so prevalent in young people brought more people to watching the movies and I think mm-hmm. brought more appreciation for them in a weird, like, roundabout way. Nice. Um, I agree. I agree with that. And the other only th- other thing I had down was that I really uh, – and I'm curious what Matthew has to say about this more than even what I have to say about this in that how you imagined Yoda fighting when you saw Yoda fight. Because, like, as a kid, I thought it was cool that, like, Yoda had all these crazy force powers. It was flying around like a like a frog on ketamine and, and just, like, you know, Dooku being so elegant and seeing the, the masterful lightsaber doing and seeing, like, how much better he was than Obi-Wan, um, who defeated Maul. And seeing Anakin's, you know, being able to hold his own longer and still, you know, losing because he's inexperienced but being like it kind of gave you glimpses into each of these characters skill sets and potential and mindsets i thought it was very cool and very like cerebral of a fight and also noting that dooku chose not to actually you know he he probably could have killed them i know there's that dramatic scene where he holds his lightsaber over his head but i don't think he was ever going to actually kill one of them in that moment i think that it's still a moment where dooku was still like had some of the the jedi tendencies to not fully murder Mm -hmm. um but, but all that to be said, I'm curious, especially with Matthew, what you think about how Yoda's lightsaber combat was portrayed. Uh, the little green ball of ableism, you mean? Yes, that. Yeah, um, ketamine frog. <laughs> I'm incredibly biased on it because it made me so angry. Yeah. Because, and granted, like, you know, I became disabled, like, I've been mentally disabled for a long time, but I, I lost my leg in between seeing... Uh, Attack of the Clo- uh, Ru- the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones was one of the first movies I went to in a wheelchair. Um, and Yoda, but you know, I was the fat kid in high school, in elementary school. I was the kid who was always picked last in gym class because I wasn't very physically capable. And Yoda to me was my hero because he showed that you could have a body that was not great by the standards of everyone around you. But just because of the power of your mind and the power of your spirit and the power of your heart, you could still do incredible things that had nothing to do with the capabilities of your body. And so this is my feeling. I'm not, I'm not using this to say this is how you should feel. I'm saying this as a newly disabled person who had held on to that idea of Yoda. And then when I was coming to terms with living my life without my leg, Yoda was someone I really held on. I felt so personally betrayed. I felt so – it is – probably the single moment where I have felt ableism most in my life. Um, and so, yeah, I, I I think there are ways they could have... I, I think the implication is supposed to be that basically he summons the force enough to kind of, you know, the way like adrenaline can make you kind of like forget the fact that you've been shot and do incredible things. I could buy the idea that summoning the force makes you able to do these incredible feats and that you're totally exhausted after. And if they'd explicitly said that, I would have been like, okay, I wish you hadn't done that with Yoda, but you gave me a reason to understand it. What what, what if it's... Sorry, go ahead. Instead of just saying it that, like, just the way it showed, I I was deeply personally offended um, and and really hurt. Does it... 
and, 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 I, and I don't know if it does, you know, does the, the idea that, like, Yoda, you know, Yoda uses the walking stick, Yoda is slow moving, Yoda does, like, I think, appreciate, you know, the how how, how taking it slow and, and leaning into his age really helps him, I think, in a lot of situations. But, you know, does it help at all that, you know, I always interpreted it as, like, he's using the force to to overcome physical limitations. And it's like he's using it to enhance, you know, his own abilities. And I don't know if that makes it better or worse. <laughs> um, I, again, if it had been set up in any way. Yeah. Um, yeah I still think I, I still think it would have been bad and I would have hated it because I think it's yeah. not who the character is. But it would have been like, well, here's the other reason. If you do it in order to give me a lightsaber duel that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life is one of the best in Star Wars, great. But I think Ketamine Frog is the worst lightsaber fight in all of Star Wars. It is rough. I think it looks awful and CGI'd, and I felt insulted. I felt like you're going to take away this disabled character just to give me this schlock? Like, again, I'm not saying that I'm having the most rational reaction to it, I'm I'm just, I'm getting visit I'm getting like I can feel myself getting upset talking about it, um, so I'm not saying that like everyone should have the reaction I do, by any means, but it I've certainly talked to a lot of other disabled people who have similar reactions of it. Just felt incredibly ableist and like a real betrayal of what the character had been, and not for any good reasons. And when you pair it with like the green rope the green. The green puppet, who I've known to love, who for some reason they made CGI this time, um, like uh, watching this a lot of this, part of me was thinking, this is what happened when Jim Henson died. That you know, Henson, Hen- Henson had been a real po- partner with George Lucas in the original movies, and I think he got puppets in a way that many people don't. And I think the the misuse of them and turning it all in CGI, I think Jim Henson, if he'd still been around, could have been like, George, what, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, but awful lines, like, I mean, uh, oh, God, what's his name? Uh, the guy who plays Count Dooku. Um, Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee. You know, I've seen him do incredible act- – and I've seen him do incredible acting even with pretty schlocky dialogue, like some of the some of the original um, uh, Dracula movies. I've never heard him utter a line as bad as, clearly we are equals in powers of the Force. We must settle this with lightsaber. Like, no one talks like that. Um and I, his delivery to me was the most like f u to Lucas because I don't think that's a good delivery at all. Um, yeah, so yeah, I just hate every moment of that. I and I can't. I respect. I respect what you're doing. I'm gonna ask that you don't try and find a way to make it okay for me at least because I I I, I need people to respect yep. that it's just horrifically insulting scene and and if uh, for me and if other people like it that's awesome and I think. Enjoying it as the green ball of ketamine is great. I'm not, but I'm just saying, like, for me, don't don't try and tell me a reason why it's okay. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I appreciate you speaking your truths mm-hmm. because, like, these are things I never would have thought of. Like, yeah, as you know, which makes me ableist in a, some sort of a form. Like, that just doesn't affect me, so it hasn't applied or occurred to me. I guess I would say, hmm. and so I do really appreciate you like saying that. Because, like, yeah, when I was a kid, it's, like, even just watching, like, the first episode of The Clone Wars is, like, oh, yeah, Yoda's so cool. Like, he took down, like, all these droids by himself. But it's, like, it never occurred to me the bastardization of the character that occurred in that yeah. way. And, and I don't even think that's ableist of you. I think that's just 
that's the importance of different voices. I mean, I I didn't like Anakin's romance scenes, but I don't think I truly understood how manipulative it was, and especially I don't think I caught the victim blaming of it, of the whole, you know, that kiss you shouldn't have given me until I read a set of tweets by a woman talking about that. And because she saw it, because she's like, this is how I get treated every day. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like, so, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with you not catching that. I think we all catch things because of our own experience. But, yeah, so I, I will say the one positive thing about that lightsaber fight, and part of why I, I, I dislike that part, is I think the later part of it, when Dooku is fighting Anakin, they it's not that the fight is that good. It's that they they move into this very dark area where they're both so clouded in shadow and their faces are just lit by these red and blue blades and it's just so beautiful and so, like, talking about these two people, two Jedi who have both fallen or in the process of falling and I just loved it so much. I did notice that too. It is pretty visually stunning. Like, I, it hadn't stuck out to me before, but I was like, ooh, the lighting is really doing something for me right now. Like, yeah. it's really telling the story. Yeah, it really is. It really is. <laughs> We've gone a long, long time uh, and I know Alex has to go really soon. So, Aaron, what are your last things? Um, last few things. <laughs> Just going to say it. Like, I love monsters, okay? Like, I love a good monster fight. I think it's so fun. Um, love the Genosius battle. Mm-hmm. Genosa. I don't know how to do this, guys. Um, <laughs> Genosian. Sure. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and And for me... Just overall in this movie, as an Ahsoka stan in every way, shape, and form, mm-hmm. I had so much fun watching Barris. Yeah. And and I and I had this time to think to myself, okay, this is Attack of the Clones. Anakin is a Padawan. Barris is a Padawan. Like I knew she was older than Ahsoka, and I know that Anakin is very young when he takes Ahsoka on. Mm-hmm. But it just kind of like drives it home a little more how she could become so disillusioned yeah in her time as a padawan because she was there before the clone wars yeah ahsoka wasn't she knows what it used to be like ahsoka doesn't yeah and like yeah they have this beautiful connection you know early on in the clone wars but like at the end of the day barris is very unsatisfied with the jedi yeah and in a way that Ahsoka doesn't see. And so it just, seeing her on the field at Geonosis, like, it wasn't even that she was a part of the Order when it happened. She was there. Yeah. And it makes Barriss's story of her disillusionment and the fall of the Jedi so much more powerful and meaningful to me. Yeah, it really does. It really does. I did not even notice her, but I totally believe you that she was there, and I think next time I'll watch it, um, which will hopefully she's, be a little She's while. actually... Sorry. I would say that I would look for it, but yeah, go ahead. She's actually there in the scene when Padme first comes to, um, of course not, and she's oh, there talking. Okay. Like the scene, all the Jedi are in with um, Palpatine, and she's standing in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, right. so Barris is included in the movie, which I like a lot. Um, the clones. Shout out to my boys. Yep. Shout out to my boys. Um, I don't know if this is true. I don't know if we know this, but my personal belief is that that clone commander we see with the yellow markings is in fact commander cody he sounds like him he mm-hmm. acts like him yeah like he's immediately on top of it like mr perfect boy he's like sir let me tell you we've set out this perimeter blah, blah, blah. i don't know just love him love the clones mm-hmm. like one thing i noticed um, this time is how much like okay the clones are taking orders from yoda 
Mace has never seen them, and they've never seen Mace. They take orders immediately from Mace. Like, you can see how much they've been programmed and taught to any Jedi to take orders from them immediately. Um, and that's why, like, when Anakin and Obi-Wan are fighting, pilot, put it down. Pilot, don't do that. Pilot, do this. And I'm just thinking about this poor guy sitting in the cockpit, like, who am I supposed to be listening to right yeah. now? Yeah. He, he probably has no idea who, I mean, well, or maybe like, they do. Maybe they've been shown pictures of, like, these are the generals, these are the panel yeah, you know? Like, I envision him like swerving the plate or the plane around being like, put it down, keep it up, put it down, keep it up. Yeah. Of course, that doesn't happen in the movie, but yeah. um, that and just justice for the clone that falls with Padme that nobody gives a shit about. Yeah. Yeah. Padme, no. <laughs> well, and that, I think that's the whole point. I, th- I do love that scene again as an illustration of like, your job is supposed to be to care about people, not an individual person. And I think there's a there's a problem with that, in that if you stop, if you you have to care about you have to care about people and also like individual persons and people, and yeah. they're each the two different sides. I will say that brings up my one other big complaint in terms of like the gender stuff about this movie. Um, I will admit, Natalie Portman is a very attractive woman. Natalie Portman's seeing Natalie Portman's midriff is not something I thought I would ever feel bad about. But even at like 22 years old, with all the hormones that a 22-year-old, you know, person who was, you know, thought they were a boy at the time had, even I was like, don't pander to me like that. When the monster reaches up to claw her and somehow like two of its claws cut through her shirt, but the other part of its claw perfectly rips her shirt to turn it into a crop top. Yep. Like, it was just like... Come, like, again, at that age, you find a way, an excuse to show me more of uh, an attractive body, I'm probably not complaining about it. The fact that I complained about even that, I was just like, this is just so blatant. Come on. Yeah. And, like, you know for a fact, so much of it is also marketing. Because is there a single photo of Padme in her full flight suit with the white robe? No. No. There's not a single one as far as, like, marketing that's been put out everywhere it's padme in her white newly yeah. cropped top yeah and like i know an awful lot of cosplayers who and they always i now the thing that i don't think i've ever seen the full one and you know i have actually oh have you that's I, awesome i do know several female cosplayers who do the full one intentionally that's awesome that's really cool yeah like i know some um uh, a cosplayer who i follow has recently been she made a big deal about how get ready for it everyone i'm doing return of the jedi leia and like a lot of her fans got super excited because she's a very attractive woman and she often posts cosplays that are very attractive and she did it as the bounty hunter yeah and it was a great way to weed out she just started blocking any guy who was pissed who was yeah. like you thought i was gonna yeah. be one of the thousands more of bikini leia no i'm i'm leia her badass um yeah it's bush yeah Bosch, exactly or like even like endor leia like yeah yeah that's cool she really played them <laughs> exactly all right well this has gone on for so long already um so i'm gonna wrap this up we are gonna have the member bonus section where we talk about what i think we're all kind of agreement is one of the best or not the best story we've read so far in uh a new hope from a certain point of view uh but for you not a listener thank you as always so much for listening um you can check out all the amazing things that both alex and aaron are doing in their uh uh their links are in our show notes uh, you can, of course, uh, find all the things that I'm doing by going to theethicalpanda.com or by going to our page on True Story. And most importantly there, you can find ways to become a member. $5 a month, uh, you become a member, you get 
bonus content, you get ad-free content, and you get bonus mem- full episodes uh, that are just for you as members. So please think about doing that. Uh, if you're members, stick around for a bonus content. For everybody else, thank you so much. We have spoken. Are you okay to go a little longer, or do you need to get out of here? Uh, yeah, no, I just, I had nothing to say for my outro. <laughs> oh, it's totally fine. Do you want to Mind s- went blank. Do you want to say something now, or do you want to just leave it? I have become more powerful than any Jedi. I guess that means you're hosting next week. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs>